Hello everyone and welcome back to a Women's Place podcast. We have, we're riled up today. We have some, we have a fantastic podcast for you today. We're talking about women and voting and the foundation of our states and the treason that was enacted upon this country by the government parties. You know, nothing too dramatic. Um, nothing too heavy. Nothing too heavy. I'm Christina and this is Thorka. And if you haven't listened to us before, we cover a range of topics that like 80% of the time focus on women and other time it's like, you know, social issues or we look at frameworks of problems that are happening in our society. Currently, um, people will um, have heard about Roe v. Wade um, in America being a... possibly overturned and also the scandal over the National Maternity Hospital, which we won't get into, but that is the current climate, political climate that we're at today. We want to talk about something that's kind it actually is related to abortion in a roundabout way because of what happened after. In the end, yeah. In the end. But we're gonna we're going to take you all the way back. We're going to take you all the way back to the beginning of the Irish Republican state. So the year is, <laughs> tell us, Erica, so, the year. The year so, was 1916. Yeah, so I think from our previous podcast, a lot of our listeners will be familiar with this Ireland struggle for independence. We had a, um, a revolution in 1916, followed by a war of independence in 1919. Mm-hmm. And in 1921, the British government um, was pretty much forced to come to the table because of all the atrocities that they were committing in Ireland, um, which made them look really bad on the international stage. So Irish delegates and British delegates sat down and over two, well, over three months, they tried to hash out some sort of treaty or compromise. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the main, I suppose, the main goal for the British was to keep Ireland within the British Empire, mm-hmm. which at that time covered about a fifth of the world and they obviously felt that if Ireland gained its independence and managed to get out of the British Empire then other countries would soon follow suit the Irish on the other hand the the, the British were like okay you can't move out of the house but you can move into the, the the spare room or you can move to the shed at the end of the garden yeah yeah but they didn't um, want to sleep you, No, the Irish delegation had two main goals, and that was to achieve a 32 county republic with complete independence from Britain. And and as an addendum to that, obviously, if you get a 32 county republic, that means that there would be no border on the island of Ireland. Those were that didn't happen. Yeah, you can say that again. Um, It had already happened anyway in 1920 Mm. with the Government of Ireland Act where they partitioned Ireland with absolutely no input from any nationalists whatsoever. But that's Mm -hmm. a story for another day. So on signing of this treaty, the on signing of this treaty, the um, the Irish delegates had to go back to Ireland and try and get uh, the treaty past the Doyle. So they had to try and. tell everybody in the Doyle that this was a good idea for these reasons and it was divisive to say the very least 
Now, we'll just say that the deal was no game on the 32, but would you like 26 instead? That was, you yes. don't think we mentioned that. So, and Michael that Collins was, was like, is Cork included? And they were like, yeah. And they were like, sure, yeah, go on. So. Basically, not a bad reading of it. Um, when Michael Collins returned to Ireland and presented these terms to the Doyle, there was shock and disgust and walkouts. Um, people were not impressed. And the Doyle debated for um, a few weeks and it got extremely emotional, extremely heated at times from people on both sides. I would plead with every person here. Make me a scapegoat, if you will. Call me a traitor, if you will. But please, let's save the country. The alternative to this treaty is a war which nobody in this gathering can even contemplate. If the price of freedom, the price of peace, is the blackening of my name, I will gladly pay it. And the terms, certain terms in the treaty, people really didn't give a shit about. But there were other terms that people felt were too close to the bone, too close um, to the heart for a lot of a lot of people in Ireland to accept. Um, so I'm just going to really quickly just run through the terms. Um, so Ireland would remain as part of the British Commonwealth, i.e. in the British Empire. Mm-hmm. The King of England would be represented in Ireland by a governor general. Members of the Doyle and the Shannon would take an oath of allegiance to the King of England. Yeah. Britain would keep the use of three ports in Ireland for its Navy and a boundary commission would be established later on to debate um, on the border between the North and the South. Mm-hmm. I think our listeners can probably guess which ones people had the biggest issues with. Mm-hmm. Um, and from all of the debates that I've read, the two real sticking points on the anti-treaty side are the oath of allegiance to the British king and remaining in the British empire. There is a little bit of talk about the three ports and the fear that Britain could use them to launch an invasion whenever they wanted, but those two were the main, main sticking points for people. In this stall, and these debates were there, were there members of people from the north? No. No, just the 26 counties represented. Just the 26 counties. Yeah, because I suppose that I think a lot of the TDs had abandoned um, the idea of a 32-county republic even before this, because the Government of Ireland Act 1920 partitioned it, and they had seen what the Unionists were willing to do in order to keep it. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I suppose that a lot of the nationalists in the North felt, and rightly so, were completely abandoned by the Irish Free State. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our constitution um, in 1937 laid claim to the North and said that, like, Ireland is a 32-county republic um, and that the government would never stop fighting for the North. And then when the troubles happened, the government was literally just put on their blinders and was like, we don't see that, that's not happening. There's um, a clip by... You know, the guy who plays the uncle in Derry Girls. 
boring guy. Yeah. He was like, yeah. Now, you know all about the troubles, but there was actually no trouble in Northern Ireland before the troubles started. Uh, there was there was absolutely nothing going on to cause trouble in the first place. The troubles were the first trouble, really, that we saw. Um, yeah, and I think that was on a lot of people's minds at the time as well, of this idea of like abandoning our brothers who are 300 miles away from us, you know, mm. on the same island. And I think a lot of people had had issues with that. So what happened then was there were loads of public meetings and there was a Doyle debate and um, over 100 TDs debated. Crowds gathered outside the mansion house every single day to hear the debates and hear what people were saying. And I just want to read one or two pieces from the Doyle debates. Um, one of them is by Limerick TD Kathleen O'Callaghan, whose husband was the mayor of Limerick and was murdered by the Black and Tans. And essentially summarising her speech, she basically says that, um, is this what my husband died for? Is this what my husband died for? To take an oath of allegiance to a British king and to remain in the British Empire um, and she's she's quite emotional in it, um, as 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 anyone would be. Um, Countess Markovitz calls it a home rule bill covered with the sugar of a treaty, mm-hmm. which it was. And she also says that the oath is a dishonourable oath that can be twisted in any imaginable form. And she said, I, being an honourable woman, would rather die than give a declaration of fidelity to King George or the British Empire. Mm-hmm. All of the women TDs. Um, including Cork's own Mary McSweeney, um, who we've spoken about before in this podcast, who is the sister of Terence McSweeney, who died on hunger strike um, for Ireland. Uh, she gave a three-hour-long speech in the Doyle. Now, I don't know how many people on this have ever tried to speak on anything for three hours straight, but it is quite a feat mm. to do that. <laughs> Either with or without your hands up. I maintain here now the 
and again Mary's entire Mary's entire speech was really based on the fact that is this what my brother died for mm-hmm. um because she had been there she had seen what um had happened to Terence while he was on hunger strike and she was so disgusted by it she said if Mick Collins went to hell in the morning would you follow him there well, I have absolutely no answer to the deputies who declare that they would transfer their allegiance from the God to the devil at Michael Collins's behest. Go back and read the pages of the history of your country, and then you will go back and consider the treaty. Mm. So she was disgusted by it, as were the other six women TDs. Um, they were hugely anti-treaty. On, um, on the day of the vote, the vote pro-treaty vote one with 63 votes in favour to 57 against. This led then to a walkout from the Doyle by De Valera and his supporters, among them the women TDs. And when that happened, the anti-treaty IRA began meeting and speaking. The IRA split down the middle with people who wanted the treaty, people who didn't want the treaty. But what the the kind of crux of, of it was that um The civil war really began in March in Ireland in 1922, but nothing really happened until June. Why? Mm -hmm. Why did Michael Collins let the anti-treaty IRA take over the four courts for three months? Because Michael Collins was waiting for the results of the general election, which were to be held in June that year. And although it was a general election, it was essentially a referendum on the treaty. Now, just to be clear, Michael Collins' side was... Pro-treaty. Pro-treaty. And yeah. De Valera was anti-treaty. Anti-treaty. And, uh, and, you know, we talk about Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil. Of the, of the government parties, who would people say belonged to who? So this is the thing. There was really only one government party, the mm-hmm. Sinn Féin party. Mm-hmm. And so you had anti-treaty Sinn Féin and right. pro-treaty Sinn Féin. So but you Fianna could Gael, have two candidates... Don't exist yet. Yeah. Fina Gale, uh, like only a couple of weeks ago, they released Michael Collins' pins. They claim him, yeah. like, yeah. They do, yeah, even though, like, their Fina Gale's predecessor is Common the Gale, and Common the Gale didn't exist then either. So there was there was Sinn there was Sinn Fein and there was Labour, but Labour had very, very, very few TDs in the um in general, and yeah. only ran eight TDs in the in the 1922 general election. So right. what this was, was it was a question to the people of Ireland. Even though the Doyle had ratified the vote, it was a question to the people of Ireland. Vote for your local pro-treaty if you're pro-treaty. Vote for your local Sinn Féin anti-treaty if you're anti-treaty. Mm-hmm. And women... This is where it gets juicy said, now, listen. Yes. This is where we're getting the, the juice. So as I said, you had your six um, women TDs, which was fabulous, great, brilliant, all the rest of it. But um, the way that women were franchised in Ireland is kind of um, a bit different to the way it happened in a lot of other countries. So in 1918, when Ireland was still in the British Empire, um, the Fourth Reform Act was passed. Mm -hmm. This act extended the franchise to men, over the age of 21, mm-hmm. regardless of your class or um, property status, and to women aged over 30 who occupied land or premises 
with a rateable value above five pounds or whose husbands did. Mm-hmm. So you have to be over 30 and you have to be a rate payer of over five pounds. Okay. Mm-hmm. That that bar was not met by a lot of women in Ireland who were over 30. Yeah. Now, then it also extended local government franchise to include women over 21. Okay. So women over 21 were getting to be a little bit politically active in 1918. Mm-hmm. By the time that the War of Independence and the treaty roll around, a lot of people in Ireland, women in Ireland, um, like Hannah Sheehy Skeffington, have been campaigning for years for equal franchise. If all the men over 21 can vote, all the women over 21 should be able to. We're clearly soldiers in petty coats and dauntless crusaders for women's votes. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. But that's not what happened. Okay, mm-hmm. the there was supposed to be a franchisement of all of the all of the women in Ireland over twenty one, but Arthur Griffith and Michael Collins delayed it. They chose not to franchise women. Um, Fuck you, bitch! You broke my heart. Fuck your friends. Over the age of 21 and the minority republican minority the anti-treaty wanted both of them to be um aged over 21 you can vote no matter what but de valera and griffiths both pro-treaty said no and both sides were motivated by no the sorry you said de valera, de valera you mean collins sorry i'll start that again the republican minority anti-treaty the likes of De Valera and Cottle Brewer wanted yeah. equal franchise for men and women aged over 21. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Collins and Arthur Griffith said that it was impractical and unlawful to change the previous um, rule. And both of the sides were motivated by the belief that young women tended to be more Republican. That's why fucking Michael Collins is not your hero, bitch. Like... He's yeah, not your, he's, um, he's not the hero, babes. I mean, I, I, I kind of, I feel for Michael Collins in, in a certain way. I do feel for him, but by this stage, he was completely motivated. As in, I feel for him, like during the War of Independence and stuff. Like, yeah, boy, go out and assassinate all those people, hundred percent. But I, I do feel that he was completely motivated by the fact that he knew as did Arthur Griffith, that if they gave women over 21, regardless of their property status, the right to vote, they would have lost. Well, They would have lost fucking, the general election. He was a fucking misogynist, wasn't he? He was a fucking sexist, wasn't he? He was, in the, he was on the path of power at that point. And mm-hmm. he was definitely a Fianna Gaylor, wasn't he? Because and he was, he was on trying the path to stay. And he wanted to get his way. And he, like... If like and the founding document of our country was not the founding document, but it was the one that was read out on the steps of the GPO in 1916 on Easter, was it Monday or Sunday? 
and it was like the first sentence includes you know men and women Irish men and, and Irish, Irish women. women and it's yeah. like the whole document the dead talks about equality like that's that was the, the 32 counties socialist yeah. socialist republic republic so socialist republic do, do, is there anything else you want to say that before we start talking about zero numbers? So we we mentioned that they there was a belief that I, the women women so not only not only gentle reader are women between the ages of twenty one and thirty disenfranchised are not able to vote, but over thirty if you didn't have land. It was if you didn't pay a rate of more than five pounds, which I would argue that anybody outside of a town or city in Ireland was not paying a rate of five pounds. So you're talking about a huge agrarian society, massive rural population. Mm -hmm. You know, like a lot of people were disenfranchised by this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Christina now, who is far better at maths than I am, is going to give you some sweet numbers. So we we had a look at so there was no there was no census in a nineteen two what year would should have 19, been there was no census in nineteen twenty one there's no census in nineteen twenty one so we're going off the census of nineteen eleven now nineteen eleven has five far higher numbers in what would be later twenty to you know so like kids age zero to nine there was approximately 300,000 female children um, who would have been 20 to 30 by the time 1922 rolled over. But we're just going from the numbers of the 1911 census because those are hard numbers and we don't know, you know, we're just going to base it off that because those are the numbers. And so there are 127,707 females between 20 and 24 and 190. 15,105 females between 25 and 29. So women between the ages of 20 and 30, they make up 246,000 people. Okay. So the total number of the voting population, voting population over 20, over 21 is 1,900,000 and 20,000. So 246,000 people is a huge piece of that pie. Imagine like that's what, what is in, in, what do we say? 13%. So that's 13% of the, of the, of the voting, of the eligible to vote. If everybody over the age of 21 was allowed to vote like men, uh, didn't get to vote. So that's 13%. And in raw numbers, that's 246,000 women. So um, during the referendum, there was a 62% turnout. So that's 62%. The general election. Uh, yeah, of the 1,920,000. So in the general election, which we, you know, say that... That's uh, essentially a referendum. Essentially a referendum. So it's around 60% is, is usually where we hit, like, the, the maximum turnout, really, in Ireland. So Michael Collins' party, which was pro-treaty, got 38% of the votes. That's 156,424 votes. This is, again, based on the numbers that we, we assume from the 1911. Uh, 
uh, census. De Valera and Treaside got 21% of the vote, which is about 51,000 uh, votes. Labour got 21% of the vote. Farmers Party got seven and Independents got the rest. Um, so, are you still there, Erica? Oh, you there? I am. Um, so we decided that, okay, so 60%, 62% of turnout was the, for the general population. Now, excuse me, we don't know if that would have been higher or lower amongst women of between the age of 20 to 30. But 62% of 13%, so 62% of 246,000 would have been 152,520. So, so that's 152,520 women. The total number of pro-treaty votes was 156,424. So we're just 4,000 people shy of the entire vote for the pro-treaty. So you're, you're talking about a huge number of people. Now, we assume, we're assuming that, we're assuming all of those 152,000 would have voted for pro-treaty. If you just, if you say that 60% of them voted for pro-treaty and 40% doesn't, that still gives you 90 something thousand and combining with the rest of the, the parties would have would have brought the anti-treaty side to, would have won basically. There would have been, the referendum would have showed or the votes would have showed in, in our estimation that the anti-treaty side would have won with the participation of just, if 62% of women between the age of 20 to 30, 21 to 30, had voted anti-treaty, then that would have tipped the scales and the... And we're not even mentioning here, by the way, that all of the women, if they had removed exactly. the property, if they had removed the property um, rate paying like rule, then mm -hmm. you would have probably franchised at least another 200,000 people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so, and so sixty-two percent of that, whatever that is, is another at least fifty, yeah, 50 it, to eighty thousand people. It would have it would have brought the anti-treaty side over line. Yeah. And De Valera knew this, and so was campaigning for women to be franchised, not because he had any great love for women, because he wanted to win. Mm -hmm. And Collins and Griffith were, you know, rowing furiously against it because mm -hmm. they also knew. Um, and. When you think that this was the foundation of our state, mm -hmm. this was what the 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 brick oh, the bricks that our state is built on mm -hmm. was, were 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 laid at this time. Mm -hmm. So they were laid without the without the the input of most working class women and without the input of any women between mm -hmm. under the under the age of thirty. Mm -hmm. and Emotional damage. If you look at any of the big campaigners from that time, like Countess Markovich, Mary McSweeney, any of um, the other McSweeney um, sisters, people like Peg Duggan, um, who campaigned for suffrage, number one, like above, above all else, but then also were in some cases vociferously anti-treaty.
mm-hmm. like to the point where they were making a rod for their own back by being mm-hmm. anti-treaty. Mm-hmm. Um, that was what they that was what they wanted because I think that they knew that those on the anti-treaty side were um I'm I'm not gonna make a huge sweeping statement and say we're we're feminist or whatever, but those on the anti-treaty side, I think they aligned more with them because number one, they had a real issue with the oath of allegiance and the staying part of the British Empire. But also, as we spoke about in, in a few podcasts ago, the dreamers of that time who had envisioned this utopian 32-county socialist republic, a lot of them were dead already. Mm. And a lot of the other ones that weren't dead yet would be dead by the end of the Civil War. Mm. Mm. They recognised that these, these people, these men, were true socialists, a lot of them, who, mm. you know, believed in the equality of the sexes, believed in the right to suffrage, believed in the right for women to choose their own destinies. And that has to be part of the reason why all of those women TDs and outspoken women aligned with the anti-treaty side. The, 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 the consideration that has to be made here as well, like it, Michael Collins was waiting for this election. So yeah. if, if the votes had come in anti-treaty, the civil war might never have happened. Might never have. Might never. But then the other issue, which I think is something definitely to discuss as well, is that on the back of that treaty, Lloyd George had said, David Lloyd George, the Prime Minister of, of England at that time, had said to um, Collins and to De Valera, if you do not sign this treaty, I will bring an immediate and terrible war down upon your head. And some of the IRA men, like, for example, Sean McOwen, who was an IRA commander at 4,000 men under his command, he was um, he was pro-treaty. And mm-hmm. he was pro-treaty because they were running out of guns. Mm-hmm. They were running out of guns, they were running out of ammunition, and they were running out of tricks that they could play, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like for the year, the real, like for the year of 1920, which was the real, like the, the, the real war, I suppose you'd say. Like 1919, it was bits and pieces here and there, but 1920, like it really got started. Mm-hmm. Um, they were they were winning because they were ambushing and they were using guerrilla tactics and everything else. And they had some fantastic wins you know like the the kill michael ambush was a huge huge boost to the ira morale and a real um a real kick in the teeth to the british but there are some tricks that you can only play once Mm -hmm. and the enemy will then begin to see your tricks for what they are and the women didn't care about any of that Mm -hmm. you know the women were thinking they weren't thinking about how many guns the IRA had. They weren't thinking about uh, the, 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 the British sending ships over from England. They were thinking about their lives, their rights, mm-hmm. the rights of their children that were going to come after them and how things were going to go if, and they did, if they didn't get the type of people into government who had started this entire fucking thing to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the, the, yeah, they're running out of guns and all the rest of it. But like, I mean, I'm sure they would have been able to find some shit. I'm sure they would have found some they new would tricks. Have. Like, 
like you know there was it, an entire organization in america the irish republican brotherhood like the entire organization that was dedicated to getting um getting the british out of ireland the ancient order of hibernia those lads were getting rich over in america like they mm. would have sent money they would have sent guns um and i think that if you think the east coast of america like boston places like that like who ruled boston back then yeah it wasn't the americans it was yeah. the irish yeah. and if they wanted to send a big huge ship of guns to ireland they would have done that yeah yeah but what i what i just think is worth commenting on is that a lot of the men who had actually gone to the fighting and you know had seen people die were sick of it they were absolutely they were shit sick of it but the women who had remained at home and been huge targets for the for the black and tans and had their hair shaved and had their houses burnt um were not mm-hmm. They were not sick of it and they were willing to continue in that lifestyle, living like that for as long as it it, as long as it would have taken. Well, you see, would one would one, I guess the reality is one decision for one of those genders meant peace. But the decision and that same decision meant a reality that like what would unfold, of course which was sexist like like the decision for women to a- accept the treaty they didn't see peace in that decision potentially you know like i don't there there's still x y and z there's still this pop- possibility why not continue whilst we're on the road um and yeah. not stop short of full thing it's like but you know yeah those but anyway um I think it kind of led I'll just I'll just mention the fact that we did a podcast recently on no blacks no Irish no democracy and we talked about republicanism as well we talked about democracy and one of the things that becomes apparent when we talk about democracy is who's considered human uh, um, because to be considered human is to be franchised, is to have the vote. You know, that's what democracy essentially is. And you, I saw not only a couple of weeks, like the people voted for the treaty. When you see that, you have to say, who is people? Yeah. The same when we talk about like, you know, trans women, we, we, trans women are women. We're like, what is a woman it's an actual question it's an actual question Mm. it might sound like from our point of view might sound like a crazy question to some people but like what is a woman it's actually a legal definition same as the way a person is because when a when people such as black people weren't considered human you can take the humanity away from someone through the law in its Mm -hmm. in its disenfranchisement so and like rights, you take, when you take human rights away from people, you take away their humanity that you give to them. Like, you know what I mean? That how you treat other people, it's there, it's so related. So I just think that that, if you see, if you're listening to this and you ever see like people talking about the people voted for the treaty, for the constitution, for the blah, blah, blah. You can turn around and say, who is the people, though? Because it wasn't women. Mm-hmm. It yeah. wasn't, the majority wasn't women. So thank you. Come again. Let's try uh, another go. 
Yeah. And you see this as well with the results of the 1922 election. Mm-hmm. Um, the women who were returned refused to take their seats in the Dáil, mm-hmm. point blank. They said, no, not doing that. Um, and with the civil war then, um, the position of women in the new Irish Free State became extremely contested. Mm-hmm. Like, what is our place? You know, mm-hmm. you had, in a lot of cases, you had a lot of militant women who were in Come the Man and were in um, other groups that were committed to a cause of a 32 county um, Irish Republic. And mm-hmm. now they weren't going to get that. And mm-hmm. very similar to how American women were treated um, and English women were treated after both world wars, they were told, get back in your box. Yeah. And we're going to, let's, let's cut it there. Um, because we're running out of time. I don't know if you can see that little time left thing. And we'll have to start a new we'll have to okay. start a new thing. So I think that's the perfect place to cut that first episode anyway. Um and listen out for part two. But um we're about to actually get into the namesake of this podcast in the next episode and like how that is related to this decision to disenfranchise women um yeah so thank you very much for listening to part one and we'll be a part two at very soon bye